we need impact forces. We need to be able to perceive vibration because we ultimately use impact forces as the potential or elastic energy to take your next step or to jump, etc. So our relationship and our athletes relationship with impact forces and vibration is critical. You want to optimize that relationship. They need to be able to perceive those, those vibrations. They need to be able to actually anticipate those vibrations. And then ultimately they need to be able to store the potential energy from the vibration in their myofascial system so that it can recoil through the tendons and the fascia as elastic energy. That was podiatrist and human movement expert, Dr. Emily Splickle, speaking on impact, vibration, and the importance of the foot in transmitting that vibration into elastic energy. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Simply Faster. Simply Faster is an online athletic performance technology shop distributing items such as the free lap timing system, gym aware, K-Box, 1080 Sprint, and the Speed Mat. I've gotten many of these items from Simply Faster and can confidently say that they make today's best training technology available to everybody. The free lap timing system has revolutionized both my practices and my athlete assessments, allowing me to look at the 10 meter fly capability of dozens of athletes in a matter of seconds. It is wireless, compact, portable, and incredibly versatile. The K-Box and 1080 Sprint are fantastic tools for any coach looking to build speed, agility, and implement training scenarios that go beyond the traditional weight room. The 1080 Sprint is being used by great coaches training some of the fastest sprinters in the world, and it truly represents high-performance speed training. I can personally attest that Simply Faster's customer service is second to none. Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. Welcome to another episode of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Smith. Thanks so much for being here today. I appreciate all you guys in the Just Fly Performance audience, and I'm hoping you're having a great week. So for today's show, we have none other than Dr. Emily Splickle. She is back. She was originally a guest on episode 62, where she took us on a deep dive into how the foot uh, zigzag, how force zigzags through the foot throughout gait, running, sprinting, as well as some training and special strength training implications. And, you know, I was almost wondering how to, you have a great episode like that, and you kind of wonder how to not top it, but like really build off of it, because it was so information dense. And if you're interested in foot training, uh, it's one of my go-to recommended resources in episode 62. Uh, Dr. Splickle, by the way, total rock star in the fitness world. She is a podiatrist, a human movement specialist. She's founded a number of, of, of educational courses, certifications, and is also the creator of the Naboso technology, which she's going to get into in the show a little bit, but basically a, a textured point differentiation based training surface insoles for shoes. Really cool stuff. So really excited to have her back. One of the smartest individuals I know in this field. And so anyways, uh, this, this next month of podcasts, including this one, is going to have several episodes that really take us on a journey inside the foot and the ankle 
And I know a lot of uh, episodes on the show in general, we focused on that because import, it's, it's really important. Um, great coaches and trainers will eventually find their ways uh, looking at the extremities, the hands, and the feet. And as those are the sources of a lot of nerve endings, especially obviously the hands, but also an, a strong connection with the fascial trains of the body, the fascial links of the body, which the elastic system is just so key to fast, efficient human movement that also doesn't have as high of energy cost. So this stuff is important to talk about. So what did I, uh, the things I decided that I would like to uh, chat with Dr. Splickle about was this time not so much how the force travels through the foot, but how the foot senses information, how the foot picks up information, what kind of receptors are there in the foot, and how do we train them. If I've learned anything in the last year particularly, it's the importance of the body having sensory information to produce movement and output force. A lot of times we just tend to think force, 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 but there is a sensation that needs to accompany that. The body uh, whether it's you know the body in space, you know, we talk about proprioception, the body sensing where it is in space, that's an important thing. But also the, just the body being able to sense pressure and vibration on the skin. And Dr. Splickle is going to take us on a journey um, as to just how important that sensation is in maximizing our athletic potential. So this is just a super cool, uh, it's info dense, but it also is super highly related to human movement. Everything in this show today, you're going to be able to say, oh yeah, I can totally see that in my footwear, in the surface I'm working on, in the pattern of the exercise I'm doing. So Dr. Splicka is going to get into the different types of nerves in the foot and the body as, as well as how the foot and the skin particularly picks up sensation in the foot. She's going to tell us about fast and slow receptors in the foot, the difference between that. Uh, she's going to give us a little bit about vibration and what the surface and how that uh, the role that plays in athletes' relationship with the ground. She's going to talk or give her take on balance work in relation to foot sensation and adaptation. Um, balance work in terms of unstable surface and then her preferred balance training. And then she's going to talk about textured surfaces and a little bit about the Naboso technology that, that she's invented. Before we start quickly, I wanted to let you guys know also my new book, Speed Strength, is now on pre-sale. It'll launch and ship on December 21st. So the book is basically a holistic and very thorough um, take of my take on linear speed development and basically every category that goes into it, biomechanics, plyometrics, strength, special strength, um, and as well as programming and lots of other things. I think that uh, one of the reasons I wrote it is that strength training for speed is so debated. This book gave me an opportunity to not only utilize my own thoughts and experiences, but also those of many people who've been on this podcast and trying to make something that is as concise as possible for each chapter and finding the right looking glass for how things transfer to speed and just how to look at the whole equation when it comes to building faster athletes. So I think you guys really like the book. Again, it's on pre-sale now. You can head to Just Fly Sports and check that out. But uh, that being said, without further ado, let's get on to this episode 128 with Dr. Emily Splickle. Dr. Emily, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. It's great to be back. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we covered so much on the foot last time. Like, I, I honestly had to like almost listen to the episode a couple of times just to really get um, 
there's so much information to get out of it. So in, in coming up with some more questions for you, I'm like, wow, what, what have we not covered about the foot? But um, I, I know you have some awesome things that have been going on with uh, what you've been doing uh, with uh, like some of the, the foot sensation and Naboso. And uh, what's been what's been going on for you in the last year? What's been new? Yeah, so um, I think the last episode that we did was much more biomechanical focused. So it was a little bit more pronation, supination, stabilization, um, and then the integration where my other approach to the foot that ties into really what I'm up to is the sensory aspect of the foot. I'm a huge believer in stimulating the skin on the bottom of the foot, optimizing the stimulation of the skin on the bottom of the foot and using it as a gateway to tap into the nervous system because ultimately every movement that we do is controlled and dictated by sensory stimulation and your ability to perceive that sensory stimulation. So I've been exploring that aspect. Um, I know we're going to speak about Naboso a little bit, but um, trying to optimize my product line that specifically stimulates the skin on the bottom of the feet. Yeah, with the, the sensation and, and just the general awareness, I think, uh, I mean, in today's society, right, you get you talk about like mental awareness with the phones and awareness of what's around you, but even like awareness of our own bodies. I, I was working with uh, just a master swim coach, like motor learning expert a few weeks ago, and he was having me go through a few like kettlebell or um, club bell. I, I get him confused sometimes, like kettlebells, club bells, mace bells, all these things. Um, he was having me work with some club bells and just swinging it and saying, okay, now I want you to have an awareness of your, your neck. Now have an awareness of what your fingers are doing. Now have an awareness of your hamstrings and basically going through like 20 different areas. And it's like, unless I would have actually thought about it, I would have had zero idea of what that area was actually truly doing. It's like, how how important the sensory feedback loops are to to our performance is i think is completely underrated and i think we always just because we always just want like more force and and more you know how can i get more power it's like the subtleties are so unnoticed yeah and you really want to be looking at the subtleties of your your perception of where your body is in space so more of like a external sensory relationship but then there's also a really powerful internal sensory perspective that, you know, top athletes, top individuals, I I don't care if it's just a general client, has to be able to tune in to both aspects of that kinesthetic awareness, proprioceptive awareness, but there's also what's called interoceptive awareness. So it's, it's how your body feels, how your breath is feeling, and everything is breath. Um, So the more that an individual can sense subtle shifts within their breath or their heart rate or their joint position sense does translate to their exteroceptive or external environment relationship as well. So that's awesome. A a great coach should be helping that athlete tune into different aspects of mind-body. Mind-body for athletes or clients or patients is so powerful. Oh yeah, I couldn't agree more. And yeah, you know, I, I, it is interesting to think like yeah, the the having that internal sense or like once you can pick up this proper sensory inputs. And, and I'm definitely one who's all for power production, but it's like we're not going to get the optimal power production for our sport until we can put our body in the right position for it. And and I'm sure that's where the sensation is so important. I was reading a book. I don't even remember what it was. It was like 
um, that with the interoception, because that's like your ability also to sense like your organs almost like in the book, I think it said, try to guess what your heart rate is in a minute, like without, you know, using your pulse or something. And that's how good you are. <laughs> I, I, I think I was better than I thought, but not, not amazing. But, um, that's, that's kind of along the lines of what that is as well, isn't it? With the interoception. Yeah. So interoception is, uh, let me go back a sec. So exteroceptors are mechanoceptors, proprioceptors, um, more on the external environment, meaning what's on your skin, the palms of the hand, the bottom of the feet, the joints do create a shift with, with your perception during center of gravity. So that's a little bit different. That would be more exteroceptive. Interoceptors is another type of sensory nerve that's found in your fascial system, much more within your visceral fascia. So it is gut. So how you had mentioned more um, kind of what's happening in the torso, your gut, your heart rate, your breath, digestion, and those subtleties are communicated with your limbic system or your brain, not to make it too complicated, on how you perceive homeostasis or balance. So that's really important for, let's say an athlete that's about to go into a competition, a race, the more that they can tune into their interoceptive system and feel like, okay, I'm starting to get nervous, right? Like my got butterflies, that's an interoceptive sensation. I'm starting to feel my heart rate go a little bit up. Or so it's kind of not palpitations, but in a sense, and they're tuning into that they then need to have the higher level conversation with themselves to calm those nerves, to center them, to use the mind to get into the zone and almost use that sensation of nervousness through their interoceptive system to become focused energy to win the race or something like that, right? Where others who are not as tuned in get wrapped up in it, don't even realize what's happening because they're less connected from a sensory side and then you know they miss the shot they they're not calming the heart rate um because of their perception of of how their heart rate is even beating so that that's awesome i i want you to find out what that book is because i want to read it but i have people do that all the time as i have them lie on their back count their heartbeats without touching so you should be able to sense your heartbeat, feel your heart beating without feeling your pulse. And that's a really good technique to start finding interoception. Oh, I love it. I, you know, that reminds me too, of what you're saying about, um, yeah, just being in touch with, with yourself and your functions to be able to control those. Um, I, I've, the, the more like just elite, elite sports performance coaches I've worked with, the more that that what's going on with your face and your breathing and if you're doing a challenging exercise or where there's a set of instructions to it or there's a high level of difficulty continually monitoring the breathing pattern as soon as someone like stops and you can see them go into that sympathetic you can you can link that to the game uh what's going on in the game and i was i was just playing basketball the other day and i remember i just i was kind of going through traffic and i missed a finger roll that was kind of easy but I, I noticed, I never would have noticed this when I was actually playing in high school or even a year ago, but like I, I, I missed it and I noticed my face like tensed up, my breathing stopped to d take mm -hmm. the shot. I'm like, you know, that's probably a reason why I missed it. Like, it's just interesting to go back and, and see those connections the older I get. Uh, I guess maybe that's called having old man game or whatever they, they whatever they <laughs> attribute that. So uh, anyways, um, well, I love it. Well, hey, I want to I get in uh, before we get too far. I definitely want to get into 
sensation in the foot. So uh, the first uh, actual question I have for you here is, um, what are some of the different ways, and I guess it would maybe be the same thing as what you're saying, but the different ways that the foot senses pressure in the ground, and then how does this manifest itself and how we should train or the, the footwear that we should wear? Okay, so the skin in the bottom of the foot is different skin than skin elsewhere. So palms of the hand bottom of the feet is called glabrous skin, where the other skin on the body is called hairy skin. They have different characteristics. They have different nerves. The nerves that are found on the bottom of the foot, palm of the hand, glabrous skin are haptic receptors or touch receptors. They're also referred to as mechanoceptors. And these mechanoceptors are sensitive to different stimulation. There's actually four main mechanoceptors in the bottom of the feet. Those four main mechanoceptors are broken down into two different classifications. Two of them adapt to the stimulus slowly, which means that they're continuously reading the environment. Um, the, I'll go into those two in a second. The other two are what's referred to as fast adapting, which means that they refer, they respond to the stimulus and then they shut off. So in order for them to be reading the environment, they need a continuous on off of a stimulus. Now the two that are slow adapting, continuously reading the environment, you could see would be more important for let's say quiet stance, balance, posture, when you're standing in one place or what's called sway, medial lateral sway. Those two slow adapting, first one is called the Merkel disc and it is sensitive to two point discrimination. So two points, uh, two-point differentiation and the distance between those two points that it has, it's called the spatial acuity, is one millimeter. Merkel disc, slow adapting, two-point discrimination, one millimeter apart. Best analogy is Braille. So the skin on your fingertips reads Braille through the Merkel disc. Now the Merkel disc is the most superficial, close to the surface receptor in your hands and your feet. Okay, so two-point discrimination, which is also referred to as texture. So you're able to perceive texture through that two-point discrimination. When we speak about Naboso in a little bit, that's really what we're targeting is the Merkel disc or the ability to perceive two-point discrimination. Again, quiet stance, posture, medial lateral sway. The second slow adapting one is called a Raffini ending and it is skin stretch. So if you are on, let's say your foot is on a rough surface, it's going to be stuck to the surface, right? Because there's going to be friction involved in it. So when you are stuck to a surface and you have, say, horizontal shearing forces, horizontal impact forces that create shear, now you stimulate skin stretch, which is the slow adapting response as well. That ties into impact forces, posture, dynamic control. Now you're too fast adapting. Both of them, the um, FA1, FA2 are sensitive to vibration. FA1 or the slow adapt, uh, sorry, fast adapting one is responsive to low frequency vibration. So let's say we're walking, yeah? And then 
the FA2, which is the second one, is responsive to high frequency vibration. Why understanding vibration and these two fast adapting uh, mechanoceptors is because impact forces during dynamic movement are perceived by your nervous system as vibration. So we are really using all of the mechanoceptors, but it's the vibratory ones that are super, super important because those are the ones that are sensitive to the, the true stimulus of impact. To tie this in real quick is of all of these mechanoceptors, 70% of the mechanoceptors in the skin and the bottom of the feet are responsive to vibration which means the most important stimulation coming in for dynamic movement, bipedalism, running, et cetera, is your ability to perceive vibration. And then that is supported by two-point discrimination, skin stretch, and then the other nerve endings, um, which is why I talk about footwear a lot and why, particularly around running, understanding sensory feedback from the foot is critical to movement efficiency, time to stabilization, energy return, etc. All right, on that's that was a lot of stuff. I was I was fiercely taking notes, but I'm I'm excited to go back through this again and um, just really digest all that a, a second time. But I, and as you were talking though, I kind of was thinking about these generalizations. It's like I don't remember what book I read. Like our brain, maybe it's NLP. It's like your brain's always generalizing. But I I don't know if you said this or I heard this somewhere else. But like the brain, it's or the Basically, the foot picks up either texture, texture, vibration, or pain. I, I think is that like the three kind of general, the general uh, sensations. Yeah. yeah, and then skin stretch is in there. It is a we'll call it a subsidiary of the texture because it's the texture that's allowing the skin stretch. But that stimulus is it, it is important because of horizontal impact forces creating shear. So you are getting a stimulus from that. The pain that you mentioned is actually a free nerve sensory response or sensory stimulus where the ones that I mentioned, these mechanoceptors are actually myelinated. So myelinated mechanoceptors are different than free nerves. Free nerves are nociceptors, pain, thermoceptors, temperature, and then interoceptors, which is what we were just speaking about, which is the internal sensation. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Sure. Uh, and so I'll, I'll use this this thought as kind of a lead into my next question. But uh, with with the pain idea, I this is when I was like, tw- uh, well, I was 25. This was at least 10 years ago. I was 25, and I, I had read an article about somebody who had like natural bony heel spurs. And every so they if they let their heel hit the ground hard enough, they would experience pain. So they had to walk on the balls of their foot pretty much all the time and this person played volleyball or something and had like a 40 inch standing vertical and I was like whoa all right I'm gonna I took like a thumbtack and not the I took the metal part out <laughs> the little sharp part but I, I I flipped it on its head so you had the part you push against and I cut the the wide part off and I I found a way to put it in like the heel of the shoe so like it wasn't like terrible if you stepped on it hard but it wasn't good so you kind of had to walk in here but and I was like oh this is gonna be my next big invention and I don't care if anyone steals this because I think it would be, wouldn't be a good idea because I was like, oh, all the stress fractures people are going to get with that thing in their heel or it's, yeah, I don't know. Like, and then I saw, and then I saw there was someone who had um, an insole with actual like studs in the heel that I think were also like to discourage you from heel striking and running. And I was like, I was like, I wonder what the implications of using pain as a feedback mechanism to try to get people to, 
to, to do the right thing is, you know, compared to um, to texture and then and like obviously what you're doing with Naboso and actually using like something that's more like being actually barefoot. Yeah. So why I don't um, go in the direction of pain, <laughs> you can. <laughs> um, and I know the insoles that you're speaking about and have read really good feedback on it, that it does direct them to then strike their midfoot instead of their heel. And it does essentially what it is intended to do. The issue with pain is that pain always triggers some sort of emotional response. So I try to never go in the direction of pain. What if that individual, when they're not running or doing whatever their physical sport is, creates a guarding response around heel strike that they unconsciously never even walk the right way because of this pain response that you created. Really, pain is fear, so you're creating some sort of fight-or-flight sympathetic guarding response, protective response around heel strike, where heel strike when you're walking is not a negative characteristic. Um so I, I just wouldn't go in the direction of pain. If people do it and it works and they have no ramifications from it, then rock on. But that's not that would not be the strategy that I would do. Um, plus, the interesting thing is that let's say if you do have a harder surface in the heel, so you were putting like thumbtacks, right? So the, yeah, yeah, in a way, but not yeah. the pointy thumbtacks. Yeah, it was like the hard, yeah. <laughs> it's not thumbtacks, it was the hard metal piece, essentially, of the thumbtack in a sense. Uh, yeah. So you were changing the density of the, of the rear foot or the heel of your insole. So was it just the fact that it was something that was causing pain or was it now that you changed the durometer or the hardness and the way that vibration is transmitted through the back of the heel material versus the forefoot? That's tied into it as well because every material that your foot contacts is going to create a vibratory response. So that I actually think it might be a combination of both of those. Yeah, yeah, it was um, it was an idea that de was destined to get me a lawsuit. I think uh, my idea, <laughs> but uh, anyways, uh, so with, with some of these, uh, with the different uh, aspects, so so stretch, texture, vibration, um, how how can we use those as coaches or athletes listening um, to guide us into the footwear, uh, barefoot insoles? Uh, how does this all play in? Yeah, so. Thinking of the two fast adapting that are sensitive to vibration. So when you're thinking of the ability to perceive vibration, you want to consider the footwear that you're putting on your athletes, whether it's when they're training or they're in during game or race, et cetera, or even just their day to day cushion in shoes inherently is going to absorb that vibration where we need impact forces. We need to be able to perceive vibration because we ultimately use impact forces as the potential or elastic energy to take your next step or to jump, etc. So our relationship and our athletes relationship with impact forces and vibration is critical. You want to optimize that relationship. They need to be able to perceive those, those vibrations. They need to be able to actually anticipate those vibrations and then ultimately they need to be able to store the 
potential energy from the vibration in their myofascial system so that it can recoil through the tendons and the fascia as elastic energy. So that relationship is optimal. If you have cushion in the shoes and it damps and it takes away some of the vibration, you want to think of that as that shoe just took away some of my athlete's potential energy, right? Which means now if I'm not taking advantage of as much elastic energy recoil through my myofascial system, now I have to start working muscularly, which is not efficient. You don't want to be using your muscles for work to take each step. When you do that, you fatigue the muscular system, the cardiovascular system, and that's a, a huge cause of myotendinous injuries. So a lot of the, the tendinitis is that we would see. Often you can attribute that to that, that athlete working working too muscularly versus just working with the rhythm of the impact forces. So that one, that's, that's a key aspect to it. Now, if you think of the shoes and maybe you start doing barefoot simulation or you shift them into minimal, now we have to start thinking about the surfaces that you're training on because every surface vibrates differently. And then every surface has a different, um, tactile aspect to it. So, uh, whether it's a smooth surface or it's a rough surface, it has a texture, it's turf, it's uh, indoor track, whatever the surface is, it has different characteristics. So assessing that surface, seeing how that surface vibrates. If you are on a wood surface, obviously that's going to vibrate better. If you're on a surface that is more concrete, that's not going to vibrate. So mm -hmm. you might be going through the efforts of getting them out of cushion in their shoes, getting them barefoot or minimal, but not considering the surface that they're on. And now they're on a surface that does not vibrate, which means now they have this back rever reverberation that they injure themselves. So surfaces need to be a, a symbiotic relationship between the foot and the ground, which means that when you run, you jump, you strike your foot on the ground, it needs to vibrate, which means the surface has to vibrate, but you have to vibrate at the same time, right? So um, think of like two symbols hitting each other. That's a symbiotic relationship. The vibration is in harmony and they're both resonating at the same frequency. Yeah. You want that exact same thing when you run, jump, strike a surface. You need to think of the symbols the surface and you have to be in harmony. Otherwise, um, think of it like, I don't know, uh, striking an instrument a little bit off or something like that. Right. And then it kind of like one doesn't vibrate and the other one is kind of like, like <laughs> kind of off. Yeah. Right? Like a wood symbol so, versus a, a regular symbol. You hit them both together. It's just two different. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that relationship is really important. So the, the surfaces that athletes are training on is critical their ability to tune into that surface is critical. Footwear, barefoot, uh, interoception and their body awareness of how they strike their ground. Um, I try to tell athletes that you are essentially dancing with the ground and you have to harness that belief. Even some of the huge football players and NFL player in their cleats when they're running around and doing their thing, they are still dancing with the ground because that's really the art and science of impact forces is it is rhythmic, it is symbiotic, it is harmonic, and you want to be able to tap into that. 
The other aspect of surface that you can think about is the textural aspect. So what is the difference between a smooth surface and a rough surface? If you are trying to get as much sensory stimulation of the mechanoceptors, you want to think of how can I tie in different textures? Smooth texture, yes, you're, you're getting stimulation, you're out of your shoes, it's a hard surface, you're getting the stimulation, but you're not tapping into the slow adapting texture two-point discrimination, which ties into your brain as well. So how could you do that? And again, <laughs> that ties into Naboso, not totally leading into that, but that is part of why I developed Naboso, which is a two-point discrimination mat and insole for coaches and athletes and patients and, and individuals to use to optimize all of their mechanoceptors, not just the vibratory or not just the skin stretch. The more you can get into all of those systems, the more you are priming the nervous system, um, providing your brain with the full picture of what's going on. It's really good in rehab because there is going to be a deficit, so you need to turn the volume up on the stimulation just to better shape and help shape the, the brain's picture of what's going on, and then you can kind of deviate out of some of those once the athlete is um, recovered or goes back to, to game. Um, but yeah, that, that's where I would start looking at that relationship if that is clear. <laughs> oh yeah, no, definitely, okay. definitely is. And I, I, one of the things you were mentioning, and I guess I, I saw this, um, I mean, back when I was 15 and 16, I think about this is there were my, my, in my high school, we had to practice on different basketball courts cause we had this, you know, didn't have enough gym space for all the teams. And so a lot of times we, I knew the different courts that I could jump the highest, like there'd be, you know, some court with like a really dense surface and it's like, oh, I can't, you know, I'm not going to get up very high off this. And like, but there'd be others with those, the wood was like just this perfect, like, it just had the perfect amount of bounce to it almost, you could say. And it's like, oh, you could really get up off this floor. And it was really substantial and you felt better too. Like you just feel better moving around versus playing on concrete or asphalt outside. And it's almost like you'd take that and then you could put it on the micro level with how your foot is interacting with your shoe. It's not really the micro level. It's just something that you probably wouldn't think about. Um, but that's... Um, that was substantial to me as well as I really liked what you said about the shoes too. I, I realized this more and more. It's like I, I, when I would get a new pair of shoes after I break them in for a week, I'm usually feeling really good, responsive. And then you hit that two, three month mark. And it's like, you definitely have lost something as you kind of sink in to the, the, the cushion itself. You kind of form yourself into that. And, um, that's something I've certainly noticed more and more, um, in, in my own training and how it's just like, I definitely, uh, I definitely go through shoes a lot faster these days. Well, yeah, the, the thing with the shoes, cause I, I speak to my patients a lot about that a lot is if they have cushion in their shoes and their nervous system is used to using that cushion to really dissipate some of the excess impact forces and the energy that is coming in, once they start to wear down that shoe, that's where you see a lot of injuries and it's not, you can't entirely blame the shoe because minimal shoes are essentially just a broken down cushion shoe. Like they just, <laughs> you know, there's no structure to them. People who are tuned into their feet and footwear who wear minimal shoes, 
may not be getting injured where another individual who uses cushion shoes and as soon as that foundation and cushion starts to wear down, boom, they get some sort of plantar fasciitis, et cetera. They would be more of quote unquote, a tuned out athlete, runner, individual, which again is not a negative aspect on their behalf. It's just, it's never been trained to them. They've never experienced that. They don't know what, what that means to tune into their feet and impact forces and surfaces, partly because of footwear industry just pushing cushion and that's what consumers think is necessary. So we feel that we have to use the cushion to dissipate impact forces so we don't get hurt. But if you are ever in a situation where you lose that cushion or you're not an issue like that, you are like that's like the wild west yeah. <laughs> where you know cuz they 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 don't know how to control that it's like an athlete not being able to control force in a certain way like it's just it, it's you have to be taught from the beginning proper neurostimulation and the ability to tune into that which goes back to the mind body stuff that we were speaking of is you have to have a sense of your body in space you have to have a sense of how hard you're striking the ground, the rhythm of your movement patterns, the grace. I, I think every athlete should be doing some sort of like dance movement <laughs> class to just feel the rhythm of, of how fascial movements work, right? It, it is very cyclical and rhythmic and harmonic and graceful and, you know, runners are graceful and you, you want them to see that aspect of it. Yeah, I, I agree. I do think there's a, a lot of tie-ins between athletics and dance and, and the best players, the best skilled players that exhibit so many pieces of that. I, uh, as you were saying, the, the, the idea of the friction or the stretch, um, and then I, so, along with some of the other ideas, what's your take on just socks? Like, I think, I feel like that would be like one of the biggest killers of some of those, um, some of those things you were talking about, but it's also like kind of a I mean, and I, I, I actually, I prefer to not wear socks, but then I get, you know, I get the typical complaints because it doesn't, you know, my shoes definitely aren't something I want to be leaving around where people are walking through <laughs> an area because they don't smell very good. Um, but what, what, what's your take on socks and yeah. all this stuff? Like, how does that play? In? Yeah. So socks do create a barrier between the skin and the surface. So if you have to wear a sock, go for as thin of a sock as possible. There's a really good bamboo socks that are on the market. Um, but again, as much as, as much as I can, I try to encourage people to go without a sock, especially if you're in minimal shoes. I mean, why would you add that barrier if you went to the lengths of, of getting a footwear that is trying to optimize your sensory stimulation? I actually don't own socks. I haven't owned socks for probably 10 years. <laughs> and it makes I just, life easy. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I just, I don't like the sensation of it. So regardless of the shoes that I wear, I don't wear socks. Even some of the um, less minimal, like I do have a few Nike freeze and stuff like that, um, that were given to me. They <laughs> yeah. haven't given me many shoes. And I'll try them out and I try them without socks. Yes, you will be sweating. Yes, there's that that element of odor and stuff like that. So the reality of it is, you know, what does that mean? There's there's different means to control sweat. If you're sweating a lot, and some of the athletes that I've worked with have hyperhidrosis, which is excessive sweating, 
how can you control that so that that sweat isn't turning into friction and now they're getting blisters because they were trying to trade off sensory stimulation for the sweating in the shoe and now they have like crazy blisters. Mm. So you want to individualize it a little bit. Washing the shoes, uh, putting powder in the shoes, getting out of the shoes right away as much as you can, switching the shoes up. You know, that's, that's the reality of what it is. But in an ideal situation, no socks is going to allow more sensory stimulation. If you're training on a surface, and I know this is a big question that I get, you have a group of, you know, high school athletes all training at once and they're doing their warm up and stuff like that. You get them all barefoot, then they're just like, oh my God, this is like a Petri dish is what <laughs> all of the, the coaches think. You know, the, the actuality of it as a, as a podiatrist and someone who has treated all of the fun bacterial and fungal and viral <laughs> infections of the foot, the, the chances are actually really low. And it's just be smart, clean your feet when you're done and, and go about. Um, where if you had a yoga studio, yoga's barefoot. People don't do yoga in socks. People who do yoga in socks are weird. No offense to anyone who <laughs> does. But it's just like, why are you wearing socks? Especially in hot yoga. Why would you wear socks in hot yoga? Um, that there's no issue. And people have no hesitation or qualms around like, the petri dish that exists in yoga studios and everyone is comfortable because the environment and the culture is open and accepting to barefoot because that's part of yoga you're connecting to your foundation in the ground we need to start carrying that same foundation to um to a lot of these other sports as a gymnast we were always barefoot the all of the entire facility was barefoot athletes walking around and there was not a fear of of germs i i just think there's some of that mind shift that that has to be you're listening to the just fly performance podcast brought to you by simply faster i i i agree i i mean i can get paranoid actually i'm really glad you mentioned that with the germs and, and then thinking about like the yoga studio i i sometimes will do various movements like barefoot in my gym but i like i get paranoid about walking around too much like walking getting too many places with like my i guess my foot germs or whatever so well it's at least good it makes me feel better i i was thinking about um like it's like the you know, kenny chesney no shoes nation it could be the no sock nation the more it becomes uh less of a stigma if your feet smell or whatever or your shoes don't or you know the the, the more acceptable because i really don't like wearing socks and i i had to you know it's like you, plus you get so many pairs of socks in the morning it's like trying to match them all up and it's just a pain and you know i, I mean how much nicer is it i mean some because sometimes i run out and then it's like okay well that's one less thing to do so uh, anyways, <laughs> uh, all right. So, so I wanted to ask you too about okay. So, with all these these different sensations, right? Like, I think the easiest thing that people will say to train your feet, and obviously effective, but like the easiest thing is just we'll just take off your shoes and just go barefoot, no socks. And so that mostly would train the vibration and the stretch, right? But but kind of leave the texture unless you're like on dirt or like a, a natural environment, you wouldn't get that as much. Uh, correct. Some people will try to use AstroTurf as a texture, but in my opinion, it doesn't translate as much. A lot of AstroTurf, and we don't even realize it until, you know, maybe you're barefoot and you're trying to do different movements. A lot of the AstroTurf that I've encountered in different facilities is too soft. 
So surface hardness is really important. The softer the surface starts to become, you actually disconnect the stimulus between surface, foot, brain. Um, harder surfaces are always better. So if you are looking towards the development of kind of turf areas within your facility, watch the level of, I guess, softness that you're putting under it, if there's cushion that's under it or the thickness of the turf. I've, I've tried to train on some turf and I'm like, this is totally throwing off my nervous system. Like I, because I train barefoot, balance, foot core, every week on a hard wood surface or on the Nobosa mat. So I, I am used to kind of seeking in hard surfaces. Some may argue that the softness translates to, you know, ankle stability during dynamic movement if you're on an unstable surface or you are on the field. But harder surfaces train a faster reaction time. So yes, there is a role to unstable surfaces and softer surfaces if you're trying to wake up the nervous system prime the nervous system movement prep um, get all the you know all gears online you want to be on a harder surface you want to be barefoot you want to have the vibration coming through you want to have a texture activate it prime it get it online and then you can start to throw some of these different characteristics at it, whether it's an unstable surface, it's a wobble board, it's a BOSU, it's a softer turf, you know, perturbations, things like that. But you have to first wake up the nervous system in, in an optimal way. Yeah, I, I definitely, that's a really good point. It gets my, my wheels turning on. I mean, the easiest place to do barefoot stuff is the turf and the artificial turf is so popular these days. Uh, I mean, every indoor training facility or many indoor training facilities and outdoors have them or gyms and those types of things but it is really soft like you do there's something that is like almost like over absorbed kind of like you said i it makes me think about um and, and as an athlete myself i was definitely like a very fashionably driven athlete elastic and i mm-hmm. one of the, my earliest memories of, of i guess you could call barefoot training was we would me and my neighbors would go swimming so i was probably like 10 and then we'd you'd go and we just like walk around um, and like the asphalt and in the, the really hot asphalt and it was like the nearby church parking lot. I don't know why we did this, but like it was like super hot and there's like rocks and you'd have to like kind of, you know, I just felt like that was like maybe early good foot training because you it's like a hard surface. There's like textures, there's things to pick up, like you have to get your foot off the surface quickly versus it's almost like it's almost like we go to extremes. It's like if you're going to be barefoot, do like or. You know, if it's shoes, it's cushion. If it's weights, lift the most you can. If it's, you know, if it's force, it's it's like, um, yeah, we live in a world of extremes. Anyway, sorry, I'm I'm going off a little men- mental tangent, but like, uh, I definitely, I I definitely can f- know what you're saying. I definitely can feel that importance. And even as uh, in in all my own like track and field jumps experiences, um, doing jumps, even on like a, a track surface, doing barefoot like triple jumping has always been kind of fun for me because you kind of try to pick up the vibration of the surface itself. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas most people would say never do that. You're going to hurt your heels. But I kind of like it. It's uh, it's always been yeah, enjoyable. It, it's a, a really good way of doing fascial training, which I think is great, right? And if you can be on a surface or a modality that, that teaches energy return um, and how to control that energy return. Uh, I was a gymnast, so 
that's all about harnessing energy return. And there's really cool studies that look at the timing of the energy return during tumbling passes in gymnasts. And they, the floor vibrates, right? Cause there's a large springs under it. I don't know if you've ever seen oh, a yeah. gymnastics floor kind of broken apart, but there's, there's wood and then there's really large springs and then there's a little bit of foam and then carpet, but it's, you're really trying to harness the vibration between the wood and that spring. So as the gymnast is doing, let's say back handspring, back handspring, back handspring, every back handspring is timed to match the vibration of the floor from the previous back handspring that now there's this multiplying effect to it, which means the next back handspring is going to be even higher force that's going through the gymnast and that's timed. And there's really interesting studies that show what happens when the gymnast is not timing the vibration of the back handspring and there's the mismatch of the surface and what happens within the gymnast body. That's where you would kind of like, it would like be hitting like a brick wall or stepping off a step and you think the step is is higher than it is and you land with a locked knee, um, what that feels like. And um, it's it's really cool to see that. So I think some athletes, if I was like a track coach that was in a facility that had a gymnastic facility as well, like our high school had obviously everything. So the gymnastics floor was there. Can you actually get the athletes onto the gymnastics floor to feel what that feels like and have them do different bounding and, and things to feel like, ah, this is fascial movement. This is you harnessing energy. And what happens when you are not bounding in harmony with the floor? Do you feel how you're actually striking the floor on the upside of the vibration? So it's, it's almost like hitting kind of a, a brick wall in a sense of what that feels like in the body. Um, it might help some less in tune athletes feel fascial harmony during dynamic movement. Uh, I, I love that example. Yeah. It's like you have to ride the wave, right? Like ride the vibration yeah. wave. Yeah, and you do. I, I know uh, I've seen like European javelin. I haven't really seen it in America. I mean, it's not an American thing, but I've seen European track athletes, uh, javelin throwers specifically doing uh, like their plyometric or some of their plyometric work in the off season on like the gymnastic surfaces, uh, um, which I think a lot of people would might be like, Oh, well that's, it's artificial. It's, you know, it's not your competition surface by doing that, but it's just a different form of picking up. Like you're tuning yourself to vibrations. Like you're saying, it's, it's, um, it's kind of cool. I really like that idea. Yeah. It's plus gymnastics floors are fun. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. That factor too. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Like you put track people on a gymnastics floor and they're going to have a great time. Jumpers at least they're going <laughs> to exactly. love it. They're going to love it. Um, shoot. Well, I'm, I'm just thinking like we've, we've spent a lot of time on this first question, but it's, it's been really good. I, I actually, I, I even have, well, I have another follow up to on this one. And if we don't get to all of them, you know, that's, that's no problem. Uh, because cause I'm having such a good time kind of getting into this. Cause I think this, the, it, this just such a simple thing, the foot's interaction with the ground, but it's, it means so much. And, uh, so what is the main difference? Cause I think a lot of coaches and myself included would be like, okay, well, we'll do barefoot and we'll get more of a vibration enhancement that that component of the four. Um, but what is the, the, and you had mentioned like the texture and, and like the, the other things to get the full, um, the full benefit. Uh, and I know you had mentioned this when you were kind of going through some of the different receptors, receptors on the foot, like the Merkel discs and, and the, the slow and the fast and those things. But what does that element of texture really uh, give that 
just you know if i'm going to say i'm going to take math it's we're going to go barefoot and do some things on these different surfaces what does the texture give that the um the bear the just just the barefoot would not and i hope i'm not causing you to repeat anything but i'm just trying to clarify Right. So bare, let's say you're doing barefoot on a smooth surface, then you are not taking advantage of all or full sensory stimulation coming through the foot. So let's say you are giving your brain or your nervous system um, 80% of the information it actually needs to create the most optimal movement pattern. If you're looking at the texture, again, this can be used for priming the nervous system. This could be used as, you know, I want to give my high level athlete like the millisecond advantage, right? Mm -hmm. So what can you do that perhaps uh, you haven't done yet? Okay, am I taking advantage of the full, full sensory stimulation into the nervous system? If you're not tapping into, let's say every mechanoceptor, well, I mean, that's one thing you can do, right? So now you're giving them even more information. Does that change that millisecond competitive edge? It might, right? It, it might because you're doing something that hasn't been done yet. Um, I'm, I'm a big believer on, on the, the need to open all of the channels to create the most accurate movement patterns. Texture is one of them. Um, you know, the texture feeds into skin stretch and then of course vibration. So all aspects should be integrated if you want to have the most comprehensive uh, neuro, neuro program, I guess, in a sense. Um, and perhaps that might be the thing that decreases the injury risk in some of the athletes that keep getting injuries. You can tell which athletes are a little tuned out during their movement patterns. They might be the ones that keep getting plantar fasciitis. Plantar fasciitis is a vibration-based injury. I, when we first started speaking, I was telling you about some of the studies that show if you run with textured insoles, which just means you're stimulating the texture mechanoceptor, that actually decreases impact forces, which means that's bringing in more controlled vibration, which might be necessary for your athlete that keeps getting plantar fasciitis, right? Some of plantar fasciitis is foot type driven, but a lot of plantar fasciitis is environmentally driven, which means it is their ability to tune into their movement pattern, their ability to tune into foot strike. They're probably disconnected or delayed in their perception of vibration. So can we feed that nervous system even more and the brain even more so they become one step ahead of those vibrations to now control their risk of plantar fasciitis, Achilles tendonitis, IT band syndrome, runner's knee, all of those are vibration-based injuries. Oh, I, I really like that. I, it's the way I uh, kind of put that together is the texture helps to control or tune the vibration to a better level, and especially if you I, – I know a lot of swimmers who then go run have <laughs> problems with uh, problem, problems with the plantar, plantar fasciitis and uh, I guess just not, not being – I mean, they're always in the water, right? But, like, they don't necessarily aren't, – they aren't getting texture on the, the land – uh, outside the pool deck, which is flat, um, but it just makes good sense to me. And I, I think yeah. about also how I like just being outside and just standing on 
you know, just doing messing. Like sometimes I'll just so I have kettlebells in my backyard. I'll just mess around and stand on the the dirt, and it's just it really changes the movement uh, once you pick up on it. Yeah, I I don't know if this analogy helps, and if for kind of shaping the importance of let's say texture to vibration where vibration is really what we're going after so you would have your primary vision of what you're looking at right so what's in your direct line of vision and then you have your peripheral vision which is the supplemental information to the brain to shape the picture to control the movement i would look at vibration as the true vision spot of what's coming in direct forward straight into the eyes and then the texture would be like the peripheral vision that it's accessory it's helping to give you even more information to shape that uh input yeah i, I like that too. does that help i just made that up so. uh, yeah no <laughs> i like that hey some of the best stuff is uh, is what's made up on the spot absolutely no right. I, I i love it um so, so yeah, so one of the, uh, I, I don't know if we'll get to all the questions today, but that's totally fine. I've, I've had a blast just talking to you, to you about the barefoot and the different textures and just really digging, doing a deep dive into something that's so important. And so I think, uh, in, in thinking about generalizations though, I think we try, we talk about train the feet, we talk about um, like balance um, and there's all, you know, the wobble boards you see in rehab or the circular discs and uh, PVC pipes which I've actually been using a lot lately. Uh, you got BOSU balls and, and balance, you know, inflatable balls to stand on and all these things. Um, so how does um, like a balance or an unstable surface or the dynamics of that, uh, what impact does that have on our, our foot training? And is there what kind of place is there? What kind of role does that play in, in that work? Yeah, so I'm I personally am much more a believer of instability training on a stable surface. I don't believe that you have to go onto a unstable surface to truly reduce ankle injury risk or ankle sprain injury risk. And that's by looking at the research. A lot of the research that you look at, let's say around wobble board training, shows that if you do six weeks wobble board training after an ankle sprain, which means you're trying to train perineal reaction time, which is a muscle spindle GTO, more of a um, outside bottom of the foot input system. The results of that six weeks wobble board shows an improvement in the rate of joint position sense, but not fast enough. So you do see some improvement, but is that improvement enough to prevent a successive ankle sprain? And the research and the data is, is just really not strong around it. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that the mechanoceptors in the skin on the, on the bottom of the foot actually play a faster input response than perineal reaction time, which is a large nerve proprioceptive response system. Skin on the bottom of the foot, you can refer to as a small nerve proprioceptive input system. That one's going to react much faster than your typical perineal reaction time. Now, does it mean that you should not be doing it? I I'm not saying that, but know why you're doing it and make sure that you're also incorporating barefoot texture surface, vibration, single leg static, stable training, and then how could you potentially make 
stable surface training unstable. The way that I do it is I incorporate eye movement exercises. I incorporate vestibular training on, still on the stable, say you're doing a single leg squat or a single leg step up or you're just doing a single leg balance. If you start doing eye movement exercises, you're immediately gonna throw off that individual's balance. <clears throat> I didn't even have to go onto an unstable surface. You start including vestibular exercises. 100% you're gonna start throwing off their balance. You start doing dual tasking, which is trying to challenge their cognitive skills at the same time as their uh, proprioceptive stabilization skills, you're going to throw off their balance. So those are, in my opinion, much more of a transferable uh, way to challenge stability on a stable surface. Now, if you have an athlete that is on an environment that is unstable, like let's say a wobble board would be unstable, let's say a surfer or a wakeboarder or a snowboarder, that translates to their sport, right? So they need to be able to sense shifts in joint position when they're you know, all the way inverticks are down, going down the slope and stuff like things like that. An individual who is uh, a runner, <laughs> I was talking about running. Running is on a flat surface. Yes, there's cross country and there's trail running and stuff like that. So I 100% get that. That would be more applicable to, let's say, a trail runner versus a track runner that is on a stable surface. Is there a transfer to sports? By training on an unstable surface or an Airx pad, I would probably argue no. Now, if you do see that, okay, when I start doing these single leg deadlifts and more complicated single leg skills on a Airx pad, when I first start, I'm awful, right? Because I'm just like, what is going on? I do it more, I do it more. Now I become better, right? Which means I've increased the skill to do single leg deadlifts on an Eric's pad, period. That is my skill. That is the exact same thing as I am a badass on the BOSU, but then I still sprain my ankle walking off a curb because one didn't transfer to the other. I call them in a little sense, like circus tricks in a sense, Partly because I do circus. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can, you you can really, since you do it. That you have the yeah, <laughs> license. Right, so you get really good at doing, um, you know, standing on a physio ball is a quote unquote circus trick. You are getting better at that skill. Does that translate to the actual movement pattern of bipedalism and? foot awareness, foot contact, foot position, impact forces, anticipation of ground, con uh, connection between foot and core for the reciprocal motion of elastic energy return. I, no, it doesn't. So if you do um, rock on doing it, but know why you're doing it, and then just make sure that you're doing other movement patterns that perhaps have a higher transfer, of, transfer to sport. Think of eye movement exercises, think of vestibular training, think of dual tasking, still on a stable surface, but that is your strategy for creating instability. Yeah, I, I really like that idea of um, creating instability and stable because it's more specific to sport, right? Like, because you don't, you don't play sport on a wobble board. Uh, but uh, I, yeah, I was at a, a Z Health uh, conference like probably three years ago and they were 
uh, talking about that, like doing like different, like throwing your head different directions to get the vestibular, the throw off the vestibular and, and some athletes who maybe that was a weak link for them is they just didn't, they didn't have that balance in sport. If things get, if they got thrown around a little bit and that, uh, it makes a lot of sense. I, um, I was wondering though, like I, so with the PVC pipe stuff that I've been using that a lot lately, I really, I've gotten a lot out of it. I feel like it's different than the other balance items. And I don't know why, maybe it's cause like if you become unstable, you just instantly fall off. It's all, it's not, there's really not a wobbling back and forth. Um, I almost view it more as like, like your body just finds, like, I feel like the meta, the, the pressure and like the right between the first and second metatarsal head and the heel a little bit better. And I can push through it. But if I don't have it, I just, I'm just gone. Like, and maybe it's faster or something like the feedbacks is fa- I don't know. I, do you have any, any take on like a PVC pipe, like why that might be different fundamentally than, uh, or I, I don't know. I'm just speculating. I just have gotten a little better results on that than uh, the other stuff just has never really interested me that much. And, but yeah, well, one of the reasons why I do like the PVC pipe, which I know is just kind of now in trend and everyone's doing that a lot is it forces you to tune into your body. That's why I would have people do it. So does, is there a transfer to, you know, yes, there's like mobilization, you're getting the transverse arch to become more um, shaped in the way that it should be. So absolutely, that is great. You're connecting through your digits, you're tuning into how your foot placement is. You have to be very tuned in with how your feet and your core are centered. You have to understand how to, um, the subtleties of eyes and where you look and foot placement. I, I think it's an awesome drill for tuning into the body. Yes, driving foot awareness and foot mobilization or the adaptability of the foot. So those are all great. Anything that increases adaptability of the foot and shaping and molding of the foot is awesome. Um, almost like slack lining. It's essentially slack lining, but on a PVC pipe, it's having people tune into something completely different, which I love. And that that's why I think that it's, it's a really good modality. If the BOSU does that for your athletes, if the wobble board does that for your athletes, then that's where I would say keep doing it. Anything that tunes into feet, tunes into core, tunes into breath and eyes and all of that integration, totally worth it. Cool. That makes me feel a little bit better about maybe my results not being placebo effect entirely <laughs> on the PVC pipes, but I uh, like that. Um, okay, cool. So yeah, just a little bit of time, uh, but I wanted you to, yeah, you've, you've been um, working on your Naboso, uh, the mats and the insoles, and, and uh, can you tell us, and obviously you've alluded to the importance of texture uh, and, and foot and vibration through this whole episode, but could you tell us a little bit more about that, what that is and, and how that um, impacts athletes and, and, and just and everybody really, and what they're doing with their exercise? With the Naboso products? Uh, yes. So Naboso, for those who are not familiar with it, uh, can go to the website, nabosotechnology.com. Naboso is N-A-B-O-S-O. It is Czech for barefoot. Uh, and it is a two-point discrimination mat 
is one product. Two-point discrimination in Seoul. We have different levels of stimulation, and what we are doing with our products is helping athletes, patients, individuals tune into their feet. We're also helping them to very subtly, subconsciously access all of the different mechanoceptors. So we're pulling in, let's say, the peripheral vision system of the analogy that I gave earlier. This could be used in the movement prep. This could be during your um, other aspects of training. I recommend or I see a lot of individuals using it for Olympic lifting. They'll put it under the bar. Uh, individuals will use it when they're doing club bells, barbells, kettlebells, sandbags, body weights, whatever training it is that they're doing. Um, people will set them up as kind of like a track and then they'll do things, walking lunges down the gym because all the mats are set as a row. You're just trying to optimize and bring in all of the sensory information as possible. Now with the insoles, those can be wear, worn day to day. Those could be worn when you're running. They could be worn as a form of recovery. And again, the purpose is to help the individual or the athlete tune into their feet in footwear where they may be in footwear that actually disconnects them from their feet. Footwear that has cushion in it. You can put the Naboso insoles and now you're bringing in input systems that will help them offset some of the negative or disconnection from the, um, from the footwear. It's really good in those who are injured, those who have plantar fasciitis, diffuse foot fatigue, those that are just stressing their feet a lot because they're in a high tra training season of their sports. They can use it to recover their feet or the day to day. Um, we have some great effects with those who have subtle deficits, whether it's you know status post concussion, and then we use it to help feed the nervous system more information. Um, of course, we use it much more medical with those who have Parkinson's and MS and neuropathy and stroke. And we see really incredible results with those individuals because they have a deficit. So we're increasing the volume when there is a deficit. And some of those patients, we have videos of them where they can barely walk and then now they're running. I mean, and they haven't run in 15 years and they put the insoles in one minute later, they're running. It's like crazy stuff that you don't think would be possible. Um, for those that are listening, that might not be applicable to you or your athletes because those are advanced chronic neurological conditions. But still on the the athlete side, we have a ton of, you know, pro teams that use it as a form of recovery that they say, you know, when my athlete's not in their cleats or in their their street, uh, their training shoes, their day to day, I want them in these insoles so that they stay tuned in. It's based on research. There's amazing research studies around what texture does to posture, balance, gait, foot activation, your ability to perceive joint position sense, and your ability to perceive impact forces. Ultimately, the more you can tune into your feet, the better your movement patterns, the higher your performance, the lower your injury risk. Oh, that's great stuff, Dr. Um, and it's it, it's one of those things too, where it's like you know, winning a winning a national championship is really cool, or winning the the league title. But uh, uh, someone who hasn't who hasn't really been able to move very well in ten years, being able to run, it's like unbelievable stuff. So I, I never, even though I I work primarily with athletes, I never discount that. I think that's just so cool. But yeah. uh, 
anyways uh thank you so much for your time today it was a pleasure talking to you as always uh, i've learned just an absolute ton and um yeah, I'm, I'm excited actually to go back through this and, and kind of re uh, take a bunch of notes again and, and do the show notes. But, but thank you so much for your time. And I really appreciate you being on. Yeah, of course. I hope that the listeners enjoyed and I encourage them to explore these topics more. Um, I know you're going to include my, my websites that have um, a link to our YouTube channel and our webinars that I do on the topic. There's really good resources that I speak about that people can learn more. And, you know, my goal with any podcast is to pique a curiosity and encourage professionals to seek more. Hopefully I did that. Well, that does it for another episode. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, Man, that was a cool episode. It was just even in the note-taking process, I took away so much. And it's just awesome exploring all these avenues of the body, the muscles, the nerves, the fascia, the way the extremities pick it up, the whole thing. What makes an athlete athletic? Uh, It's more than just a wonder at max. So (laughs) it's fun to dig into these episodes. And we'll be back next week. We have uh, a duo show, so two guests, which is Chris Corfus and Cal Dietz. That was a really cool episode, and I know you guys will love that. So you can look forward to that next Wednesday or Thursday when it's coming out and uh, have a good uh, rest of your week. As always, don't forget to visit our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, suppliers of high-end technology, free lap timing system, gym aware, K-Box, uh, muscle stimulators. They have the uh, the best of in each sport tech category. So check them and their blog out. They've been an awesome sponsor to our show. We'll see you next week.